Welcome to the Unicorn Club Audio Journal Podcast. Today is April 3rd, 2020. And I am doing this last recording as I have come to the end of my midlife crisis. And I will be beginning a new journey as soon as this coronavirus pandemic lightens up or ends. So I believe that I've recorded over 100 podcasts. And if you are listening to this podcast and you're going through a midlife crisis, or maybe you're not, you're just wondering about life, there are a plethora of different topics that I had covered throughout the midlife crisis, from friends to family to finances to dating to mental health. It's all there. And this has been one hell of a ride, (laughs) let me tell you. It lasted, my midlife crisis lasted a very long time. I'm going to say it lasted 12 years. And the reason why it lasted that long was because I hadn't realized that I was even going through a midlife crisis until about nine or ten months ago. Like the term midlife crisis had never even entered my mind. But when it did, there was a click and then things just started to roll from there. And I learned a lot. And so the point of this podcast is to highlight the things that I have learned and hopefully you will glean from it as well and it will give you some answers. But today, this very podcast is the last podcast that I will be creating for the Midlife Crisis. You can follow the Midlife Crisis on Twitter and you will know when you've found the right podcast, um, the right um, profile, excuse me, (laughs) When you see a unicorn created out of burlap. Now, I've always wanted to do a podcast explaining how I got the name The Unicorn Club and how I came up with a unicorn created out of burlap, but I just never had an unction to really sit down and explain it. But there is a prophetic word in that. If um, you know anything about prophecy, then you know what I'm talking about. If you don't, you can always Google it. I've always said, YouTube is your bae and Google is your BFF. Research it. Research any topic that you have in life. And the reason why you should teach yourself certain things is because there's, there's a few reasons. Number one... Some people don't know the answer, and they don't say, I don't know. They make something up instead. They're too prideful to just say, I don't know. And that's misleading. The second reason is some people know the answer why, and they won't give you the information. 
I don't know why people do that. I expect different people have different reasons as to why they don't give you the information. But the bottom line is some people know the answer and they don't give the information. The third reason why you should be self-taught in certain topics is because some people don't have the patience to answer your question. They'll know the answer, but they don't have the patience to explain things to you. And that's just where they're at in their lives. Everyone reaches a place or a plateau, an age in their life where they don't have patience. And it's usually 40 and over. Between the ages of 40 and 49, people don't have patience. They have less patience than what they used to have during that time frame. So those are the three reasons. So let's get into these highlights. I don't want to be long on this podcast. It is almost 7 a.m. And I do have to get ready for work. I am one of the uh, essential workers during this pandemic and I am on the front line so I'm still working and I bless God that I still have an income so I believe to date and it's April 3rd 2020 6.6 million people have filed for unemployment and the last time I knew there were 900 million people within the United States itself. Those are the people that the U.S. Census Bureau had counted the last I knew. It could be more people than that. So let's get into this highlights. So the first thing that I've learned during my midlife crisis is that a midlife crisis is not really a crisis. It's another level of a spiritual awakening. At least it was for me. And what I mean by that is I had to be spiritually awakened to the main reason why God has me on this earth, what I'm here to do. I've crossed many people that have no idea what work they're supposed to do on this earth before they leave. And these are people that are older than me, 50, 60, 70, even 80 years old. I have a neighbor who's over 80 years old, and it looks to me that she never found out or figured out the reason why she was born. But I can see it as clear as day. Her purpose in life was to use her voice to teach people and be heard. She has no clue. So I asked her one day, because she was trying to teach me, but she wasn't teaching me anything that, number one, I didn't already know, and number two, it wasn't useful information. But she felt that it was. It's more like things that she should be, she should have been teaching a sixth grader. And so I said to her, you sound like you should have been a teacher in life, but instead you were a housewife that worked during the holiday season. Why is it you never became some form of a teacher? 
And she said, I don't know they would have fired me. And I knew, my intuition told me that she was only saying that in the moment. It was just an excuse. There was a reason why she never taught anyone. Which is why she's over 80 and still trying to teach someone. But her time has passed. It's, it's over with now. There's no one to teach her. All of her friends are dead. Her family members don't visit her. They don't call her. She has a sister, a grandson, and a son that visits her, aside from me. And they don't want to hear anything that she has to say. So I'm the only available person that she can teach, and she's still trying. But it is of no use. She's wasting her breath. The point is, there's people that do not know why they were born. So I've discovered through my spiritual awakening that my purpose in life is to fight for what is right. Not what's fair, but what's right. Not to be an activist, but to fight for what is right. And there are a gazillion and one different ways that I can fight for what is right. But I first have to fight for what is right with myself and allow other people to see what it is that I'm doing to encourage, to inspire, to uplift, to affirm, and to confirm those who are uh, spiritually drawn to the light that I have within me. The good energy that emulates from off of me. God taught me that I am the salt of the earth and that I am a light in dark places and that, excuse me, I am a God. I am not God, but I am a God with the little G, not the capital G, but the little G. And if you want to know more about that, Google it. God taught me that, <clears throat> excuse me, I am that I am. And he taught me that whatever my mind can conceive, I can achieve. I can speak things into existence. I can shift my atmosphere. I can shift my mindset. I can shift how I feel. I can shift my income bracket. I can shift my education. Anything that it is that my mind can conceive, I can achieve. That's what God taught me. The other thing that I've learned through my midlife crisis is that it came to my career. Like I have been in nursing for a very long time, very, very long time. And I've gone through some shit with different companies, with micromanagers, with patients, and with coworkers. I've learned there's a lot of politics in the healthcare industry overall. The higher up you are on the food chain in healthcare, the more it gets into politics and less about the care of the patient. 
When you're the little man on the totem pole, you get treated like a piece of shit. You get treated like you don't have any worth, like you're not an, a hard worker. And it is crystal clear that you really don't have any legal rights. They'll say this is employee rights overall, but they won't tell you what your employee rights are. You have to actively seek out what they are through the Human Resources Department and the Department of Labor. If you don't know to do those things, you're out of a job. And sometimes you're working for a company that has a benefit package. I've learned, like when I was younger, I used to quit jobs left and right or be fired from a job left and right. And I will always tell my supervisor, listen, I'm young. This is just a job for me. It's a career for you. If I lose my job, I'll just go out and get another one. It's no big deal. But if you lose your job, you can't pay your mortgage. It's a very big deal for you. You can't pay your car note. You can't put food on a table. It's a very big deal for you. I always threw that in supervisors' faces. And I've lost some really good jobs that I should not have lost, like working for um, Walmart. That was a job I should have kept. They had an excellent benefit package. They had 401k. They had three weeks paid vacation. They had paid time off. They had life insurance. Those are one of the, the entities that no matter what happens in the economy, they thrive. Like right now, there's, you know, almost 7 million people that are out of a job because of the coronavirus pandemic. But yet, the people that work at Walmart, they're still working 40 hours plus a week. They still have their job. They still have their benefit package. Now, I didn't know that those were one of the companies that would thrive no matter what happens in the economy, even during the recession. Uh, Walmart thrived. I didn't know that. Had I had known, I would have kept that Walmart job. Another company that's good to work for, well, it was good to work for, but they closed down a lot of their stores. But another place that was good to work for was Macy's. They paid your college tuition. That was a job that I should have taken seriously and kept it. At least until I got through college. But I didn't know any better. I wasn't surrounded by people who were career-driven, who were uh, educated. I wasn't surrounded by people who went to college or graduated college. I was surrounded by people who lived hand-to-mouth, paycheck-to-paycheck, like the average Joe. They didn't have any drive to do better than where they were currently at. They were perfectly content with nothingness. So I didn't know any better. But those 
are the two jobs that I should not have lost. There was another one, a third one. It was an um, an agency. They had an excellent benefit package. They were unionized, and they had opportunities to invest in different uh, dividends and so forth and so on. And I had gotten into an argument with a supervisor, and I said to her, you know what, I quit. I didn't think that through. I didn't think that through at all. I just knew that these jobs come a dime a dozen, and I can get another one at any given moment. But though it is true, you can get an agency job a dime a dozen. You'll never be without work. If you work in healthcare, you will never be without work. And so I just went to another company, but there are a lot of companies that don't have a benefit package. That was the thing. And if they do have a benefit package, they're definitely not unionized. So that was a foolish mistake that I had made. So through my midlife crisis, I learned that uh, you have to be fulfilled uh, in your soul when it comes to your career. I learned not to have any regrets concerning the mistakes that I've made in my past because there's nothing that I can do about it now. It's in the past. I can't change it. What I can change is my current situation and my future situation concerning my career. That's what I do have some control over. When I say some, what I mean by that is you can plan for your life to go a certain way. You may get it and that's because <clears throat> excuse me, and that's because it's up to God. And if you don't get it, that's because God did not approve of it for whatever reason he has and most likely it's a life-saving reason that God did not approve of it. So you have to be fulfilled in your career. You have to contribute to the world. However, it's destined for you to contribute to the world. Like you have to give in order to feel fulfilled, in order to not feel any regrets in order to not be one of those people that say, oh, I hate my job. And so this is why I've learned um, my purpose in life is to fight for what is right, but I have to start with myself first. So I've decided that when I go back to college to become a registered nurse, Initially, I thought I'm going to get into it for the money because, uh, you know, maybe that'll be worth it to be <clears throat> aggravated, you know, because I'm aggravated and poor. So I might as well be aggravated and, you know, have some money. And so the, the registered nurse anesthetist, depending on where you work at and who you work for, they are paid between 120000 a year and $250,000 a year. How can anyone be mad at that? 
But then I thought to myself, I remembered that, you know, when I don't have any money, it makes me mad. When I'm broke, I'm mad. When I have money, even if it's just $20, I'm not mad. And so I realized that money doesn't bring happiness. All it does is make your life a little bit easier or a lot easier. And so let's just say I became a nurse anesthetist and I made 160000 a year. Surely these companies would require me to sacrifice my life for that money. Like I have to give something up for that money. I don't think that I would work an eight-hour day Monday through Friday. I would probably work 10, 12 hours a day you know, four or five days a week and be absolutely burned out. And then the money for me physically, mentally, and spiritually wouldn't be worth it because I wouldn't have any time to enjoy it unless I had that three-week paid vacation. But I think with them, they get six weeks paid vacation, uh, if I remember correctly in my research. So if this sounds, you know, good to you, I do want to tell you research it because from what I've researched, uh, and it's the year 2020, things may change, you know, over time, especially with this coronavirus pandemic, they may change the rules, but you had to become a registered nurse first and then you had to stop going to school uh, for a year or two, depending on your state. You have to work in an ICU department um, for the experience and then go back to school and uh, there's incredibly high competition for a seat um, in a college for the nurse anesthetics degree or certification. It depends on your state. And they say the course is so rigorous that you would have to not work in order to get through it and pass because you don't want to, um, you know, take out a loan for something and fail it and you still have to pay. So a lot of people, from what I've researched online, they stopped working during that time. Uh, they never mentioned how they paid their bills. I'm quite sure they lived with someone, um, you know, that supported them. So just look into it. The other thing that I learned uh, during my midlife crisis is people have their own childhood trauma. People have their own experiences which shapes their perception and perspective. And the way that the person carries themselves the way that they respond, respond to people, it really has nothing to do with me. That's really about them. They have trust issues. They are fearful. They deal with rejection. They deal with abandonment. They deal with emotional insecurities. They deal with health issues. They deal with family issues, financial issues, 
It's a plethora of things that people experience through life. And their response is a reflection of what they're currently going through and what they've been through. If you watch people close enough and long enough, you'll begin to understand who people are without them really opening their mouths and saying much. You know, right, you can see what people are doing, but the question becomes why? And that's what you have to take a look at. And so I learned to not internalize the way that people respond to me. And I learned that with the lady who was schizophrenic. And if you go back and listen to some podcasts around November, you will hear how I even learned about schizophrenia to begin with. And that patient that I had, uh, she was a nightmare to work with. And I couldn't wait to go in rotation so that with the other nurses so that I can get away from her. Like I couldn't wait for that to happen. But she taught me not to internalize the things that uh, people do. It's their own experiences that they like to, they, let me rephrase it, it's their own experiences that cause them to deflect their issues off on someone else. So I learned not to internalize things. The other thing that I've learned is about fear. It's about fear. All my life I've wanted to be married and to be in a relationship, you know, with a man. And I feared it. I feared the very thing that I wanted. And that was a mirror of how I feared trusting God to provide, to protect, and to do what he do when he do what he do, and how he do what he do. And there was men that I pushed away for two reasons, because of my immaturity, my lack of womanhood, and because of fear. Like I was self, self-sabotaging relationships for those two reasons alone. And then I got to a place where I was going back and forth. One minute I wanted to be in a relationship, and the next minute I did not. And it was all because of fear that I self-sabotaged. And so I learned that because my mother didn't nurture me when I was a child, she, she didn't hold me close, she didn't love me, she didn't hug me, she didn't embrace me. She didn't even show me tough love. She was actually um, a horrible parent. Let's just put that on out there. She was a horrible parent, not only to myself, but to my other siblings. And all of us has experienced trauma from her not nurturing us in our own different ways. I have one brother, the consequences that he went through from not being nurtured by our mother is that he spent 15 years in jail. He was screaming, his soul was screaming for help, but his mouth never said it. 
His soul was screaming for help, but his mouth never said it. And because he didn't get what he had needed, he ended up doing 15 years in jail. And that's just one of my siblings. So anyhow, I discovered something called attachment trauma. And I researched this on YouTube. And there are several different hypotheses or four core effects that a parent not emotionally connecting with their child can have on their child. I don't even remember the name who did the study. I don't remember the name of the man who did the study, but it's available on YouTube. If you search attachment trauma, you'll find the information. I do know that I did a podcast called Emotional Detachment, and you can hear um, all about what I had discovered. But anyhow, because my my mother never nurtured me when I was a child, it caused me to fear love. And because of the fear that I had, I could not embrace the love of a man, which has in turn caused me to be single. And while I was sorting out this, these, I had a plethora of emotions um, because I, I realized that my mother really fucked me up in a lot of different ways. She fucked me up financially because she never taught me about money. She never taught me about career or education. She taught me how to be on welfare. My mother really fucked me up spiritually because she never taught me that God existed. I never had a foundation in faith or spirituality. Well, it wasn't because of her. She fucked me up emotionally because I feared fear I feared love. I feared allowing people to get close to my heart. I thought that they were going to um, mind fuck me and break my heart and hurt me because that's all my mother ever did to me. I remember one time she told me that I wasn't her favorite child and that she never hugged me and never told me that she loved me and that broke me. And... um I never knew why she laughed and mocked my pain. And I cried hysterically. I never knew why she laughed to this day. I never knew why she laughed and mocked my pain. Like, why did she hurt me? Why did she want to hurt me? Like, that was on purpose. And so I thought that everyone was going to treat me the way that she did. I thought that everyone was going to talk to me the way that she talked to me. And what I discovered is that it wasn't true. People do foul things, yes. People cheat on, you know, another. They, you know, gossip and slander and backbite another person. They steal, you know, from another person. You know, they do all these things. But the way that she tormented me psychologically, I thought that everyone... I expected everyone to do that to me, but it wasn't true. So anyhow, um, my mother fucked me up in a lot of ways. And when I took a look at where her life is at, she's been in a relationship with a man for over five years. 
I watch her embrace him with love. I watch her look at him with love. I watch her touch him with love. Her thoughts are of him at all times, even when she's talking to me. Her thoughts are of him. And I, I feel, I felt awkward. And I was jealous of him receiving. I was jealous of the fact that he got love from her when I never did. And I never will. And I accept it. I accept that I never will. I used to think that she was incapable of these type of emotions. Warm, nurturing, loving, nice, kind. I thought that something was missing somewhere in her brain or somewhere in her body. And she was incapable of it. And when I watched her give the very give a man something that she never gave to me and my siblings, I realized that she was capable of it the whole time. She just didn't want to. She didn't want to. It wasn't that she didn't know how. She didn't want to. So then I had to question, what was her reason for having kids? Because it clearly was not because she wanted to know what it felt like to be a mother. It wasn't because... Uh, she wanted to feel what it was like to be pregnant. It wasn't because she wanted. She never got love for her from her parents, and she just wanted to have a kid to have someone love her back. Like it, that were, none of these things were the reasons why she had kids. But I'm questioning why she had children, and I don't think that even if I ask her, I don't think that she'll tell me the truth. I don't think she'll even answer the question. She'll probably try to get off of the phone. So I just chucked that one up to whatever. She really didn't want me. She didn't actively want me. She didn't have her own reasons as to why she wanted to be pregnant. It was another reason why she had kids. So this is how my mother fucked me up emotionally. And so I learned during my midlife crisis about emotional detachment. And the most important thing that I learned is that there is freedom from fear through love. There is freedom from fear through love. The Bible says that God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and a sound mind. So fear didn't even come from God. It came from an enemy, right? And the way that I break fear is to embrace being loved, to accept it. That's what I learned throughout my midlife crisis. Another thing that I learned through my midlife crisis, I learned to take care of my mental and emotional health. No one is going to do it for me. I have to do it myself. No one can help me. When I went around asking people have they experienced a midlife crisis, some said that they don't even know if they've even gone through it or not. And other people have said, um, I, I have no idea what that is. And so they couldn't help me. They didn't know how. So I had to take care of my mental and emotional health on my own. And I discovered that the chemical imbalance that was happening within my body can be shifted. And so what I did that worked for me was, first of all, I didn't watch certain things on TV. Like if it was sad, if it was depressing, 
if it was about bondage, like watching things on genocide and slavery, this type of thing, um, I couldn't watch them. If it was something traumatic, like physical fights, that was something else that I couldn't watch on TV. I had to pay attention to what I was looking at, what I was hearing, and what I was seeing. And so I didn't listen to certain music, like if it was sad, again, I wouldn't listen to it. If it had curse words in it, I wouldn't listen to it. They had to be upbeat and happy. Nothing sad. No rhythm and blues. No jazz. No piano. You know, no Beethoven. No classical music. I learned what classical music, the way that the music is, it can, sh like your emotions can go with that mood. If they play the instrument and the note is intended to be sad, my emotions went with it. If the musical note was intended to be happy, my emotions had shifted with it. So classical music was not something that I personally could listen to. Um, certain people preaching sermons... I couldn't listen to it. If it sounded like condemnation, bondage, strife, you're wrong, I couldn't listen to it. I had to listen to something that was encouraging. So I had to change what, again, I was seeing and what I was listening to. That was step one. Step two was I had to incorporate a change in what I was eating so I had to eat less junk food and um, I had a little more chocolate and sometimes I had wine. That helped with my equilibrium. I had to, um, twice, once or twice a week, I would eat a vegan meal or a plant-based meal. And I got that from, I got different re recipes from the internet. There's different types of websites that I found that give free recipes and things on YouTube that's free where I could find, um, you know, easy recipes with ingredients that was uh, available to me in my particular neighborhood. That helped a lot. Another thing that I incorporated was meditation. And I would meditate whenever um, my mood was right or I I could feel the vibes of the atmosphere, like the electrons or the ions was positive. And so I would meditate during that time. That was of a great help. Another thing that I did was stretching, yoga, light cardio. Now I discovered that I don't like the cardio where you do a lot of jumping up and down. I discovered that I don't like that. So there's different types of um, um, cardio that you can do that really incorporates, you know, some stretching. And you don't have to do all of that jumping up and down. And so that helped greatly. That was like the icing on the cake then. Another thing that I didn't do was I didn't watch the news. Because the news is bad news. You can get too deep into it. Um, I discovered that they give a lot of misinformation or they misinterpret 
what they heard. It's like you're sitting right there in the news conference. They said one thing, but you turn around and you re- and you say something that's the opposite of what you just sat in front of these leaders and heard them say. Newspapers I found, the ones that I read all of my life. I'm not going to say their names, but there's two of them that I read all of my life. I've discovered that they were misinterpreting what was really being said and done. Like they put their own twist on what's actually happening. And so I no longer read them. I don't pay attention. I didn't watch the news when the anxiety attacks was high and when the depression was high. I didn't watch it. So the news was something that I didn't watch, needless to say. I just looked at it for the weather. And um, that was it. Um, it's just always bad news. And they're, they very, it's not often that they report good news. And if they do, it's one story. They give it 60 seconds, and that's it. The other 59 minutes is all bad news. So taking care of my mental and emotional health during the, you know, those um, times of depression again and anxiety was very important. And I did it in a few different ways. So to sum it all up, uh, love conquers all fears. Take care of your mental and emotional health during your midlife crisis. When you have regrets, move forward. There's nothing that you can do to change the past because it is in the past. Just accept it, acknowledge it, face it, and you can change your circumstances now and moving forward. That is the only thing that you can do. A midlife crisis is not really a crisis. It is another level of spiritual awakening. And through that spiritual awakening, you should find out or discover or even rediscover the reason why you were born. What is your purpose in life? What are you on earth to do? That is the purpose of a midlife crisis. God is trying to get your attention the universe, whatever you want to say. You're having a midlife crisis because somebody wants to get your attention. And it's time for you to know what you're on earth to do. The other thing is that money does not bring happiness. It makes your life easier, but it does not bring you happiness. You have to go out into the world and find Things that would bring you genuine happiness. And with that, you're going to have to experiment with a variety of different things until you find what makes you happy and just keep doing it. You should find multiple things that find you make you happy and continue to do those things. Last but not least, do not internalize the things that people do, the things that people say, the way that people respond respond and has absolutely nothing to do with you it is a mirror of where they are at in life 
and what their past experiences has been. Actively listen to what's being said, but actively listen to what's not being said. Always ask yourself why. The other thing is you have to be teachable. You have to teach yourself certain topics. You cannot rely on anyone else to give you answers for a multitude of reasons. Research it yourself and be self-taught. You'll get a lot further. So this is the end of the podcast. I do appreciate you guys for listening in and tuning in, for sharing, and for uh, accepting my truth for what it is. I do hope that you have learned a whole lot and that you do apply what it is that you have learned to make yourself a better you today today than who you were yesterday. Put God first in all things. Let him always have your attention. And I assure you, at the end of the day, things will go well for you, even if it don't seem like it. Shalom.